Amen. We gather on the rock of Christ. If you will turn in the Word of God to 1 Samuel chapter 12, we will pick back up in our study. If you've been with us, you know that in these last 11 chapters, we've looked at the call of Samuel as the last judge over Israel. It's a pivotal time in the nation of Israel because they are moving from the period of judges to the period of kings. It's during the period of judges that we see a great rebellion among God's people. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And so God raises up Samuel and there seems to be a bit of a national revival that's taking place. We have a time there where Samuel calls the people together and they repent. They get rid of their false idols they had been worshiping and they seem to be writing their course. And then at the same time, we see the people are rebelling against God still. Uh, God was their king, and He had surrounded them with nations that had wicked and evil rulers, and they wanted to be more like those nations. And so they've cried out for a king, a, a man to be king. They want to be like their world that they're in. And so God tells them through Samuel very clearly uh, why this is a bad idea. Uh, what's going to happen if they pursue this course? And yet they continue on, and so God, in His mercy and grace, He allows them to have a king. And now Saul has been anointed the king over Israel. Uh, if you were with us last Lord's Day, we saw how uh, Saul has led the people into battle. He has defeated uh, one of their enemies, the Nahash and the Ammonites who come against them. And at the end of that, again, we just see the, the inclination of the people's heart to worship Men over God. They, they're in a sense wanting to worship Saul. They're wanting to kill anybody who wouldn't follow Saul. But Saul and Samuel correct them and help them to see that it's the Lord that won the battle. And so they come to this place called Gilgal. And there they offer sacrifices to the Lord. They worship the Lord. Uh, essentially they coronate Saul the king uh, in the presence of the Lord. And so there's a sense of national revival that's now taking place. And it's in that context that Samuel then gives a farewell address to the people. Now, he is ready to pass the baton as we move from the judges to the kings. And that's where we find ourselves in God's Word today. And so out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you would stand together, as I read for us 1 Samuel 12. And this is what God's Holy Word says. And Samuel said to all Israel... Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you. And I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you with my mouth until... Excuse me. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before His anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and His anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. 
Now therefore stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that He performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt, the Egyptians oppressed them. Then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the land of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Now therefore deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you ask, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and the King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your King. Now therefore stand still. And see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that He may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord. And the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord. And serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you will be swept away. Both you and your King. If you will pray with me. Father, there is so much for us to consider as we open up Your Word today. This call to faithfulness, this call to repentance, this call to fear and to serve You. Help us, Lord, to look at our lives today and consider, is this the type of legacy 
we are leaving to the generation behind us? Is this the type of life we are living today? And if it is not, help us to repent and trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may be familiar with the name Dr. Randy Posh. Uh, he became well known in 2007 for a lecture he gave. He was a computer scientist at Carnegie Mellon University, and on September 18, 2007, he gathered 400 of his colleagues and he gave what he called the last lecture. Now, this lecture gathered so much attention because Dr. Posh had recently let his friends and his colleagues know that he had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. He had been given just a few months to live. And so he had decided in that time he had left to give one final lecture to his students and to his colleagues. And that lecture had quite an impact, not just to those who were there present that day. It was put on YouTube, and since that day in 2007, it's been viewed over 20 million times. Shortly before Dr. Posh's death in 2008, a book version was put together of his last lecture and that became a New York Times bestseller. It sold more than 5 million copies in the United States alone. And it's been translated into 48 languages. Why so much attention? It wasn't because Dr. Posh delivered these great finds from his studies. It was because last words are lasting words. It was because this was the last time this man would speak, and that gathered attention. Last words are lasting words. If I were to tell you today that this was my last sermon, the last sermon I would preach here at Bloomfield Baptist Church, the last sermon I would ever preach anywhere, would you listen more intently? Would you be less likely to fall asleep? <laughs> Perhaps. There, there's something about last words that grab our attention. Think about people that you know, people that have passed away. Perhaps you often think about those last conversations you had with them. Those last words have a, a lasting effect. And as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 12, we come to a farewell address from Samuel, this prophet and priest and judge over the people of God. Now, these are not Samuel's last words. We will see him used by God to bring a prophetic voice to the people in the future. But this is his farewell address. This is a pivotal point in Israel's history as they've come through this period of the judges. And now they are entering into the period of the kings. And now Samuel has all the people gathered there at Gilgal where they're now worshiping God. There's a sense of national revival and perhaps repentance taking place. And he turns to them to give them this farewell address. It's an address that helps us to consider the legacy of Samuel. And helps us to consider our own legacy. And that's something we should really consider and think about as we look at this passage together. Well, what legacy are we going to leave behind? I'm sure you've heard it often said that there are two certainties in life. Death and taxes. But long before that statement became so popular, we heard our Creator say to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Death 
is a certainty. We will all face it one day. And the question that is before us is as we prepare for that day, the day that we don't know when it will come, but the day we know will come, what legacy are we preparing? How are, are we going to leave a legacy to those behind us? And what type of legacy is that going to be? I want us to consider that as we walk through this passage and consider Samuel's legacy and the legacy of the Israelites that we see here in chapter 12. Beginning with this first reminder to us, we need to leave a legacy of integrity. A legacy of integrity. Now again, the context here is that there is kingdom renewal that's taking place. A battle has been won. The people are so excited about their king. Now they can be like all the nations around them and have a king who will lead them into battle. But they are quickly reminded that they did not win the battle because of Saul. And they did not win the battle because of Samuel. And they did not win the battle because of their own might or strategy. They won the battle because of the Lord. He is the one who delivered them. He is the one who rescued them. He is the one who saved them and brought them victory. And so now they've come together to worship the Lord. And in that context now, Samuel is giving them this challenge of what they need to do moving forward and what type of legacy they need to leave behind. But before he points the attention at them, he points the attention at himself. He begins in this time of transition to Saul to put himself before the people. And to ask them openly and honestly to bring any account, any charge they might bring against him. We see Samuel here. Ask the Israelites to judge him based on his actions. He's asking them questions like, Have I used my position for personal gain or profit? Have I wronged anyone in any way? Now this should stand out to us, especially as we consider the context of this period. The period of the judges. As we consider just what we've studied in the first 11 chapters of 1 Samuel. As we think about the other leaders that we've learned about. I mean, we had Eli's worthless sons. That's how the Bible describes them. His worthless sons, Hophni and Phinehas. These men who were morally corrupt, they were wicked, they were worthless. If in their day, they had stood before the people and said, if anyone has a charge against us, let's hear it right now. People would have been lined up for days. Because they were corrupt. And they were wicked. Of course, then we had Samuel's sons. Joel and Abijah. They took bribes and they perverted justice. So if they had stood before the people, which they're there now, and said, well, anyone want to bring a charge against us? Again, there would have been a line for days because they were corrupt. In fact, we see in their corruption, they go from being judges over Israel to now just being there with the people. They're not over anything anymore. But Samuel is not the sons of Eli. And Samuel is not like his own sons. And so when Samuel says to the people, if anyone has a reason, a charge, if I've wronged you in any way, I'm going to make it right now. Notice how the people respond. Verse 4. They said, you've not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And then Samuel calls on the Lord to be a witness to this testimony of the Israelites. It's a reminder to us of the legacy of integrity that Samuel was leaving behind, especially in an age of 
corruption. And friends, that's a reminder for us today that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we as ambassadors of the Gospel, we who are Christians, who represent Christ to a lost and dying world, to a wicked and corrupt age around us, we are called to be a people of integrity as well. Called to be an honest people. We're called to be a people that don't wrong others and steal from others and don't twist laws and look for loopholes. We're called to be people of integrity. But sadly, so often that's not the case. So many in our culture today who call themselves Christians, they, they act and speak and perhaps even look one way on Sunday. And then they act and speak and look a very different way the rest of the week. We are hypocrites so often. Two-faced. We live one way among one people and another way among other people. Or for some of us, we, we try to live the same way in front of everybody, but there's these dark places in our life. There's these secret sins that we try to keep hidden and we just hope no one will ever find out about. You may know the name Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He's best known for his fictional stories about Sherlock Holmes. He was known to be quite a practical joker. It's rumored that he once sent a telegram to many of his friends that read this way. Flee at once. All is discovered. Rumor has it that within 24 hours, 12 men fled the country. How would you respond if you got that telegram today? Flee once all is discovered. Or maybe in our common context, you got that email today, or, or that social media post, or, or suddenly there before you on your computer screen was, was all your secrets, all your wickedness, all your sin, and the whole world would know. How would you respond? This call to integrity is not a call to perfection. In fact, it's a reminder to us of why we need the gospel of Jesus because we're not a perfect people, are we? And no matter how hard we try, we'll never be a perfect people. But friends, hear this. Jesus is a perfect Savior. And He died for every sin that we have and will commit on the cross that we might then walk by faith and not by sight. That we might become people of integrity. That we might repent of our hypocrisy. The Scripture calls us over and over again to be people of integrity. Proverbs 11, verse 3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are His delight. 2 Corinthians 8.21 For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Hebrews 13.18 Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. This is how we are to ask each other to pray for us and how we're to pray for one another. That we might be people of integrity. That we might act honorably in all times and all ways. Here we see Samuel had lived and worked and ministered in such a way that when he asked the people to point out any way he had failed them, they came up empty. There were no accusers. 
He left a legacy of integrity. And we're called to do the same. Number two, we're called to leave a legacy of faithfulness. A legacy of faithfulness. So next, Samuel turns his attention from his, his own legacy and he, he calls the people's attention really to a history lesson. And he goes back through how faithful God had been to His people. And we see this familiar cycle that we often see uh, in the Old Testament about the Israelites and the people of God. Where God will bless them and God will show mercy and grace and He'll take care of His people. But over time, they become terribly self-sufficient. They stop depending on God. They turn and they sin. And then God will bring consequence. He'll bring others who will rule over them. He'll bring the consequence of sin into their life. He'll bring slavery and captivity. And then the people will cry out to God. And then God answers their cry. and He restores them and blesses them. And there's this cycle over and over again. And so here Samuel is pointing this cycle out. And he's really calling them to break the cycle. He's saying stop being foolish. And stop turning from God. And trust Him. Serve Him. Fear Him. And so he starts out with this history lesson in verses 6-8 through by reminding them of the time when the people were enslaved in Egypt. And how God brought miraculous acts there in Egypt to free His people. How He raised up Moses and Aaron to be those rescuers, those deliverers. He led them out of their captivity. He brought them to the land of promise. But notice what He says in verse 9. But they forgot the Lord their God. I mean, does that seem a little strange to you? They, they forgot? I mean, they rebelled? Yeah, we see that. We see that in our own lives. They, they turned from? Okay, we, we see that. But they forgot. How do you forget God bringing plagues against a nation to set your people free from slavery? Your forefathers, generations before you, Experience the miraculous. How how do you forget the stories that your grandparents and great-grandparents would tell you about how God separated an ocean and gave them dry land to walk through? And when they got to the other side, those waters swallowed up their enemies. How do you forget that? As I thought about that question, I, I thought I... I think you forget it rather easily because that's what we've done today, isn't it? I mean, how often, friends, do we forget what God's Word says? Or at least live like we've forgotten it. How often do we get out in the world and we fret and we worry and we're anxious and we're overcome? How often do we run headstrong after sin and temptation? How often do we completely walk away from God's Word And just forget about it. Not even call it to mind. It's a cycle in our lives as well as the Israelites' lives. They forgot the Lord their God. And so, the Lord allowed their enemies to conquer them. Samuel goes through and recounts this. And then how in their captivity and being conquered, they cried out to the Lord again. And how the Lord delivered them again. And now He brings them up to recent history and Nahash and the Ammonites and how they had cried out to God except in their cry they wanted a king more than a God and yet God was merciful and he was gracious he rescued them and so now Samuel gives them this charge and and hear it again so important 
verses 14 and 15. He says, if you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and your King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. He gives them the recipe for blessing. He says, listen, if you would just stop this cycle, if you would stop being foolish, if you would listen to what God has told you, if you'll do this, and if your king will do this, it will be well. But, but, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. If you will not obey the voice of the Lord. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I mean, that, I can see how that applies to most people, but you, you don't understand my situation. And if you rebel against the commandment of the Lord. Well, yeah, those, those commandments, though, I mean, they were written in a different time and age in a different context. I mean, surely we can't say those apply today, can we? If you will not obey the voice of the Lord, and if you rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. It's a reminder to us, friends, that the biggest threat to the people of God in 1 Samuel 12 was not Nahash who said he was going to gouge their eyes out. The biggest threat was themselves. That the biggest threat was their own heart. And friends, that's the same for us today. We, we are so quick as a people, as Christians, to say the threat's out there. Look at this world. Look at these people. Look at their godlessness. Look at their wickedness. We're, we're so quick to think we can get in some type of holy huddle and bind together as if that's where the threat's all out. That we forget that the primary threat we're often warned of in the Scripture is right here. It's not the world that's going to shipwreck you. It's your heart that's going to shipwreck you. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We become so prone to point the finger out there that we've stopped considering what's the problem in here. And we see that in God's people in 1 Samuel 12. And so... Samuel brings their attention back to their own sin and their own sinful hearts, and he, he calls them back to this issue of crying out for a king and disobeying God. That this account has not been settled yet. They were excited to have a king, but they'd not dealt with the sin in their hearts yet. And so now Samuel is going to bring them a, a warning of the impending judgment of God that they rightly deserve, and he does it in a very miraculous way. He illustrates the point this way. He calls on the Lord to send thunder and rain. Now it's important to notice in the text we hear, see here that this is during wheat harvest. This was a season in this region when they would harvest the wheat. And I would assume, much like how things are harvested today, it was important for it to be a dry season. And so during this time of the year, the wheat harvest... It was a prolonged period of, of dryness when there, there was no rain that would come for months at a time. 
And you think about the harvest today and our, our modern technology and our equipment and how fields can be harvested with combines and, and large pieces of equipment and, and many people within days or weeks. But that's not the case here. Everything was manual labor. It was going to take a long time. So it was important for them to wait until they had this dry season. This is not a time when rain came and thunder came. But what would utterly destroy them would be if it did. It could ruin their wheat season. And Samuel calls on the Lord to do that very thing. He brings down thunder and he brings down rain. And that's why the people respond the way they do in verse 18. All the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. A good right, holy reverence of God that is sadly so absent in our churches today. I don't know how it started. I don't know entirely why it is. But I know that often you don't hear preached from pulpits the need for us to have a fear of God. We tend to talk much about the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God, and these are all right and true attributes of our God. But we tend to ignore or at least kind of slip over passages where we learn that, that God is a God who brings judgment and that we rightly deserve hell for our sin. There are some pastors who have even gone on record to say they won't speak of things like hell because they don't want to discourage people. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says this, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I want to ask you just for a moment, a very sober moment, to be honest with yourself. Have you truly placed your trust in Christ as your Lord and King? Are you living in obedience to Him? Is your faith truly in Him? Are you walking in that faith day by day? If you were to stand before this assembly or your family or your co-workers or anyone else and you were to say, I want you to testify, I want you to bring, bring testimony against me or with me, do, do you see this fruit in my life? Is there evidence that I'm a Christian? I'm not talking about did you walk an aisle, did you get baptized, although it is important for us to make a public profession of our faith. I'm saying, is there fruit of repentance in your life? And if it's absent, I'll remind you again of what Jesus Christ has said to us. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and and body in hell. I would do you the greatest disservice I could do you as a pastor in this church not to warn you to consider the judgment of God that is coming against you and me if we have not placed our hope and our faith in Jesus. 
we see here this reminder, this sobering reminder in 1 Samuel 12, where the people, it would seem, they, they've, they've gloried in this king and, and they've gone through the religious ritual of this coronation, but there's still an issue in their heart that Samuel's calling to account and he is destroying their livelihood to make a point. And maybe that's what we need more of today. We've become so spoiled in our current cultural context. Things are so easy for us in so many ways. You know where the church of Jesus Christ is genuinely growing by leaps and bounds? It's at the places in the world where the greatest persecution is there. God will do what God will do. To set our eyes on Him. And that fear that we should rightly have, that reverence we should have, it then leads us into the right kind of biblical faithfulness. It leads us then, it prompts us to, to walk by faith and not by sight. So this is a good fear we should have. Proverbs 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 128, 1, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in His way. This fear leads us to faith and trust serving the Lord. But when we don't have it, when we don't rightly fear God, when we have a false notion of the Gospel, when we have easy believism, then we can look religious all day long and be going headstrong into eternal judgment. And so we see here this reminder from the Word that that as we consider our own mortality and we consider our legacy, we certainly need to live lives of integrity and lives of faithfulness that's prompted by this right and holy fear, which brings us to the consideration, well, what happens when those things are lacking? I would imagine for some of us this morning, as we consider these calls to integrity and honesty, that we can't help but think about places we've failed. I think of many places I've failed. And as we consider what it is to walk by faith, I can't help but think that many of us, myself included, think about how often we've failed to be faithful. And that if we were to stand before this assembly or another today and say, bring a charge against me, that maybe that line would be very long as well. What are we to do? Point three. We're to leave a legacy of repentance. Leave a legacy of repentance. We, we are to turn from our sin and trust in Christ. So Samuel has pointed out Israel's failure. And now he's calling them to repentance. And he's bringing judgment through this weather, this storm that comes against them. And it seems that now this is prompting genuine repentance in their hearts. Because notice their response in verse 19. They say, pray that we don't die. And I find that to be the fruit of genuine repentance. Notice what they don't say. They don't say, well, wait, 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 we worked really hard on this wheat harvest. What are you doing? That they don't say, wait, 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 our forefathers failed in a lot of ways, but we're, we're doing pretty good. They don't say, Samuel, just stop for a second. Let's, let's just talk this out. Samuel, pray, pray that we don't die and the Lord doesn't kill us because that's exactly what we deserve. 
And I think that's a right understanding of our sin. Because that's what the Scripture says about it. The wages of sin is death. It's what we rightly deserve for our sin. Well, Pastor, I don't know about the we thing. I mean, some of us pretty good. No, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we will confess Christ as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so as they are crying out, pray that the Lord doesn't kill us. It reminds us of the cost that was paid at Calvary. And that if our trust is in Christ, well, the Lord has brought His judgment already. I think this is evidence of genuine repentance. They don't barter with God. They don't get defensive. They are confessional that they're sinners and need God's mercy. And friends, that is the right response for us today. Not to argue this. Not to say, well, I'm not that bad. But to genuinely repent and trust in Jesus. And so in the rest of this passage, Samuel commits to pray for them. And he he reiterates this charge to them to be faithful and to to walk with God. Verse 20, do not turn away from God. Verse 21, what an important verse for us today. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. What a good word for us. What a needed word for us. We are surrounded by a world that wants to sell us on empty things. Six months, same as cash. This will fulfill you. Oh, you just need this. This will make you happy. You're not happy because that's not as good as this is and this is better. So the better will replace the bad and now you'll be happy again. Now you'll be empty again. Because the world's full of empty things and empty promises. But God's promises are not empty. And that's the point that's made here. Verse 22, that it pleases God to be faithful to His people. That that God takes joy and His faithfulness to us. And so verse 24, we're to fear the Lord, to serve Him faithfully, to remember what He's done. It's a call for the Israelites in 1 Samuel 12. It's a call for us today. Verse 25, again, that sober reminder that if they would not, that they would be swept away in judgments. And that's true for us as well. And so our only hope today is to trust in Jesus. Is to repent and have faith. And if we are genuinely repentant people, then the legacy we will leave of repentance doesn't stop with our repentance. It continues as we call other people to repentance. Because that's how the Gospel works its way out in us and through us. When you're genuinely saved, when you're genuinely rescued, then your hope should be to tell a lost and dying world how they can be genuinely saved as well. And what a legacy. What a legacy to leave of telling others about eternal life. That is what we are called to do. To know God and to make Him known. To live lives of integrity, to faithfulness, but when we fail, to live lives of repentance and to call others to repentance. Is that the legacy you are leaving today? That's what I want us to consider as we respond to God's Word. I'll I'll leave you with this. A name from history that you may know. uh, Louis Pasteur. He was a French scientist who's known for his great achievements and 
microbiology. You may know his name from the process he invented, pasteurization. He also developed a number of vaccines during the day and time he lived. Thousands of people would die every year from rabies. There was no vaccination for rabies, and so people in his community were dying, and he saw the need to invent this vaccine, and so he spent years trying to develop a vaccine against uh, this common occurrence, against rabies. And he got to the point where he was ready to test out his vaccine. He was going to test it on himself, but a mother in his community found out about this. Her nine-year-old son, a boy named Joseph Meister, had been bitten by a rabid dog and he was dying. And so this mother went and pleaded with Louis Pasteur that he might try out his vaccine on her son, this untested vaccine. And after much pleading, he did. He injected Joseph for a period of 10 days. And Joseph lived. Pasteur would go on to invent so many other things and make such a name for himself. But decades later, shortly before his death, he was asked in making preparations for his funeral what he wanted etched on his headstone. He said three words. Joseph Meister lived. That was what he considered his legacy to be. What will your legacy be, friend? What words do you want etched on your headstone? What will you leave behind? May it be a life of integrity and faithfulness and repentance that leads others to repentance as well. That is my prayer for you. I ask that that be your prayer for me as we stand and pray and respond to God's Word. If you would, stand with me. Father God, we thank You for this important truth we read in 1 Samuel 12, this reminder of Samuel's legacy and the, the call of the Israelites to consider their own legacy. And I, I pray that we would consider ours. Lord, I know that as we consider integrity and faithfulness, we can walk through all the ways we have failed. And yet there's that opportunity, Lord, to repent. And I pray for that repentance. I pray for anyone here this morning who... Perhaps as we talked about integrity and hypocrisy, they're being burdened with the reality that they are a hypocrite and they need to repent. And as we talk about repentance, or perhaps there's some here this morning who realize their, their need for genuine repentance that's been absent in their life. And for some, Lord, as we talk about the reality of hell, perhaps there's no security in their life that they are saved from that hell. And so I pray as we respond to your word, Lord, that we would all respond in faith and in repentance, that we would rightly worship you and trust in you and walk with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, God offers us today and every day amazing, wonderful, merciful grace. And so we're going to sing about that amazing grace. And as we do, we invite you to respond. A, a way to respond to that is through singing about God's amazing grace. <laughs> and we invite you to do that. Another way to respond today for some of you may be to come and publicly confess Christ as your Lord in front of this assembly of believers. It may be God's leading you to come and start the process of joining this church family. It may be you just need someone to pray with you, and I'd be honored to do that. So we invite you to respond. We invite you to sing as we lift our voices together. Mm -hmm.